Hey, it's Shastin Rains, and welcome to Crosswalk Church. You're listening to Today's Presence, a podcast in which Pastor Tim hosts conversations about culture, daily life, and what the scriptures have to say. We desire to bring you encouragement and hope during this time. So once you finish this podcast, make sure to visit crosswalkvillage.com to find more information about our church and additional resources from our pastoral team. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for coming back. This is uh, Sam and Tim. Tim is Sam. And we've got a good friend of ours, Wade Ford, here today. Wade, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's up, guys? Wade Ford here. Uh, pastor Wade Ford. I am the pastor, as said, of a couple of churches in the city of Paris. Passionate about my community, passionate about my family, and passionate about God. Absolutely. Well, I think can... it's important that Wade also mentioned where he's pastored in the past before Paris. That's true. He has a connection to Crosswalk, right? Before Paris, I was at the Kansas Avenue, Seventh-day Adventist Church. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yes, it is true. Uh, I was blessed to be able to serve for a couple of years here at the great Crosswalk Church, where we love well. We do love well. I hear you, were, you were part of the originals, man. You are part of the, the original team that put this place together. Your DNA is still here. I don't know about that, but I was. Well, we've cleaned was it a lot. Early crew. <laughs> I was in the early crew. Where, for our dear listeners who don't know, where is Kansas Avenue? Kansas Avenue Church is downtown Riverside, California. And when you say Paris, you're not talking about you're talking about Paris P E R R I S. Correct. Correct. P double E R R I. <laughs> no, I pastor in Paris, part of Southern California, right behind Moreno Valley and Riverside, where I've been serving now almost 10 years. Are you serious? Yeah, almost 10 years. And let me, let me, we, we like to affirm on this podcast, but we always say not to be just a, a mutual affirmation society, but um, Wade, the work that you have done in Paris is phenomenal. As far as the outreach work to that community, you are, um, I mean, you're, the mayor's on your on your call list. Like you can get you can get anything you need because you've done so much for that community. Tell us just a little bit about that. Well, we've been putting in a, quite a bit of sweat equity over the years, so we've been blessed to be able to serve the community. Uh, we started uh, now probably going on four years. A we started a um, a clinic, a free clinic, pre, free preventative healthcare clinic um, called Well One under the leadership of Tracy Dawes. Uh, we've been serve, able to serve several thousand community members, dental needs, as well as their medical and preventative healthcare needs. We've also been able to, over the time there, been able to launch um, what's now the largest um, community garden Mm -hmm. in the city of Paris, which was a collaboration as well with the city of Paris. Shout out to the city of Paris. (laughs) Um, It was the first and only, I think at this time, still collaboration with a with a faith-based organization for a community garden. We've been able to receive several grants that have allowed us to expand from our, our medical clinic to receiving a large grant for our dental clinic, which has also helped to expand our community services and our outreach ministries where we have, we were tracking serving four to 500 families with food needs uh, a month that now we have grown um, to almost 1,300. Wow. Um, and this is kind of amidst just simply believing that God is awesome. Mm. And whatever you believe, you can. In the words of Zig Ziglar, you can. Yeah. And if you don't believe, if you believe you can't, you can. But either way, Zig said, you're right. 
So we believe in a big God amidst our little churches because we believe that we are called not just to serve our members, but to serve those in our zip code. Yep. What's it been like the last two months in the middle of the, the crises? Oh, man, it's been crazy. Yeah. I mean, we stayed on the edge of our seat I mean, because we've been thrusted into a space that we weren't necessarily planning for and preparing for. But essentially, we woke up and we were there. So we've been managing in real time and making adjustments in order to be able to still continue to grow our community spiritually, connect with them, serve them, and be a blessing to them. Yeah. So you get the programs going? The, the Yeah, it's, and our, our outreach program, our food distribution has only grown. Wow. It's only grown. It hasn't decreased. We're probably on pace this month to serve 2,000 families. Wow. I mean, wow. and that's that's more of a acknowledgement or a nod to the growth of the demand mm-hmm. that what God has positioned us to do is to be able to meet the demand as it's grown. Oh. Hey, if a listener wants to help get involved, encourage, um, how can they do it? Oh, man, if they wanted to be involved, um, if they wanted to let their their dollars do the talking, they would go to AdventistGiving.org and look up the Lake Paris Seventh-day Adventist Church. If they wanted their presence to be felt, they would come visit us over on 380 West 3rd Street, in Paris, California at 92570 on Thursday afternoons where we organize our baskets or on Friday mornings where we receive the distribution and then deliver those to the people. You gave an address. Which one of the, I've I've preached at one of your churches, a couple of times now. You have. Which one is it? Is you, that the you've preached you at the it? Lake Paris Church at okay. the three eighty West Third Street. Got it. We got to get you back to our other church. Hey, that's that's like a which little, one, which one did I preach at? The other one, <laughs> the Paris Fifth Street Church. <laughs> okay, that's right. I can remember. How do you decide who preaches at which one? I let the Lord decide. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's so good. Just for the record, this is a, this is a little a little um, a little uh, information. Tracy Dawes was one of my students at Azusa Pacific University when she was in nursing school. Uh, she's doing phenomenal work in the city of Paris. It had nothing to do with me. Absolutely not. 100%. She was so far ahead. She because she was a public health master student at the same time, taking both those programs at the same time. She's amazing. She is amazing, amazing yeah. person. Highly driven. Yep. Awesome woman of God doing phenomenal work in the city of Paris. We're one of just four free clinics in the city of Paris and the only preventative health care clinic and wow. the only free dental clinic in the city of Paris nice. and the Paris Valley area. Wow. 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 We're just getting our clinic started in July, our dental clinic. Phenomenal. It might be with the same people. I don't know. I don't know. We, we can talk about that later because I don't really know who it's with, but super awesome people. Um, <coughs> Oh, hey, sorry. Our, my partner, Tim, is coughing. This happens a lot. <clears throat> He's got some habits. Lloyd, uh, Wade. <laughs> I have a very good friend, Lloyd, who I've been talking to almost every day. So I'm sorry, Wade. The name sound on. This sounds similar. Wade, um, we're reading headlines, man. And Tim and I, a couple of days ago, uh, recording one of our episodes. Um, we spent a few minutes on the headlines we're reading. Disturbing. Um, I think I can use words like infuriating, unsettling. And I think we need help from you processing, discussing, learning, getting educated, all of that. 
I think what we're seeing right now, uh, based on the most recent uh, murder of George Floyd out of Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, it is not something that has is new, um, but is something that has continued to happen to a community, to the black community that just continues to be ravaged by injustice. And I think that what you're seeing in terms of the responses that people have criticized, um, whether it was the one in Los Angeles off of the 101 freeway, as well as those um, all over Minneapolis. Uh, I told somebody that what you are seeing doesn't deserve criticism unless you have invested the energy in criticizing the reason why that response is happening in the first place. Hmm. Because really, this is simply a response, not to what happened to our brother Floyd, but rather something that has continued to happen and not been sufficiently addressed. And that's the part that kind of makes it all the worse is I'm watching on Facebook, on Instagram, and I'm watching the critics um, that are attempting to um, discredit the, the riots that are taking place. And while that would not necessarily be the form that I would recommend. It sure is a form that I understand. Um, somebody suggested that living life in the skin of an African-American is considered daily trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody said, well, I don't, a friend of mine said, well, I don't think about color. And I said, well, how did you match your socks this morning? I mean, I get the sentiment, which is novel and noble. But the reality is that we do see color and it impacts our biases, our decisions, our choices, um, which is why in a country where we currently live, um, you have people who could walk into a prayer meeting and could murder nine people in the middle of prayer meeting in Virginia. And then when he's arrested, um, he he walks out with handcuffs um, as though he's heading to the coffee shop. And then the idea of a gentleman by the name of Eric Garner, who's illegally threatening the communities of New York by simply selling cigarettes, somehow ends up losing his life because of the threat that he posed. Of course, that's tongue in cheek. No threat was he posing. Or the gentleman that they're suggesting, attempting to discredit George Floyd because they believe that he attempted to fraud checks. And we see the officer with his knee on his neck for some exacerbated amount of time with other officers watching. Those kinds of incidences we are finding happening not less frequently as some attempted to call this a post-racial society, but rather we are seeing these things, not because they're happening more, but rather because these things are being brought into our living rooms through social media, we are seeing the prevalence of the things that have been happening, that so many of those in the Black community can resonate because their personal experiences, they're watching being translated onto the big screen TVs. So the sentiment, not only of personal experience, but when they look into the eyes of, I don't know, Ahmaud Aubrey or Eric Garner or George Floyd, what they see are their brothers. They see their cousins. They see their friends, they see their homies. So there's a different level of intimacy with the impact of these things, even though you don't even know them. 
but it resonates. It's familiar. And they almost seem like people that you know. So it is challenging. It's not just challenging because of the most recent incident, but it is challenging because you want to believe that we are in a better space. But a space seems so familiar that we have shifted lynching now for chokeholds. That no, it's not the, the 18th, 19th century, we're in the 21st century. But it seems like while things are better in some instances, things are still worse in others. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, you're somebody that, um, you know, I've had a lot of conversations. And when, when America was here before, um, <laughs> we, I'm not laughing. <clears throat> There's a backstory. Um, but, but we brought, we brought a community organizer and a Baptist pastor into our church, the uh, Sam Casey, who you, who we both know. And, um, it was an interesting day to say the least. I'm not gonna, I won't expound on that, but, um, I remember sitting in my car before church that day because we wanted to engage this conversation and you were my call. And my question was just what, what's a good outcome from this? What did, what does your community need? What can, what can I and my community offer? And you said some words to me that were really helpful. I don't know if you remember what you said, but as I remember it, you just said, we need you to hear what we're saying. I think listening provides not necessarily your ability to empathize because I don't think that's an unfair ask um, of communities that aren't suffering this plight. But I think the willingness to allow the story of those who are suffering to be their story without criticism, justification, or rationale. Because what I found happening is when people invite um, people's story to be shared on the back end, they want to justify the actions of those surrounding and are a part of that story, which is not necessarily something that I think that um, helps to justify the journey of the individual that you requested or asked to be transparent and share their authentic realities. Part of the problem is that when something does not affect another person's being, then oftentimes that's their struggle and not my mm -hmm. problem. But in, when my problem affects your comfort zones, then it becomes our problem. And I think that that in and of itself is what makes it a problem. Um, there was a post that was a quote um, associated to Martin Luther King that some people have, have tagged and others um, have shared. And I want to read it. It said that in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Mm. That I've been blessed to be able to see some of my friends of other ethnicities joining in and using their voice to acknowledge the wrong that's taking place. And I think partnering um, as faith leaders, um, partnering as men of God, 
and using the voice in your platforms to openly reprimand these kinds of actions, not taking a side, but simply saying wrong is wrong and wrong is not okay. Uh, I'd like to drop this note on the Black Lives Matter movement. That while I don't disagree with the hashtag that was a response, all lives matter. I have no disagreement that all lives matter. But the reason that Black Lives Matter has relevance is the same reason why in parts of Africa, the white rhino got listed on the endangered species list. That wasn't by any means to say that lions don't matter. It wasn't by any means to say that that giraffes, baboons, and monkeys don't matter. But it is to say that somehow the white rhinos are dying off at a rate different than those. And if they are not intentionally protected, then the lives of those white rhinos have the potential to no longer exist. Such is the same for Black Lives Matter and its intention. That's not to say that my white brothers and my Spanish brothers don't matter, but what it is to simply say is at the rate of loss in the Black community, it's different and needs to be considered for whatever the reasons, the variances and the variables that are causing the lives of our Black brothers and sisters to be lost at a different rate. So I thank you for that question, um, Tim. I think that one of the things that would be of value um, as a faith leader, as a community influencer, is to share your voice and to say openly, not just in the private conversations that we have, but openly say that this stuff is not okay. And we need to open our voice and use it where God blesses us with power and influence to be able to let good be shared and not hide the light under a bushel. No. <laughs> Wait, um, I want to go back to something you said. I'm, um, I want to know more about what a pastor can say that is appropriate at this time that doesn't come across as co-opting or sounding like you know the narrative or like you, you understand the lived experience. Something that doesn't sound just like, hey, I'm going to add my voice to this too because it's the right thing to do right now. That's my first question. The second question is, you said say something that, that condemns the murder without taking sides. What does that even mean? Help, help me process that. There are sides here, aren't there? Well, well when I spoke to the sides, right, um, yeah. what I was speaking to is oftentimes these kinds of issues end up falling into the pocket of politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, where um, one side will justify the actions of the police officers and the other yeah. side will will placate the community of the victims. Not to say which one would do which, but rather that we see that played out time and time again. That I think that to simply speak to the actions of wrong without speaking to groups that may be supporting either side, because wrong is wrong. And I think that we safely, as we look through scriptures, see the call 
the prophetic call that all preachers, not in prophecy, but the call of action, the speaking to of the ills of the day, the relevant communication of where we find ourselves. I think that preachers have a innate responsibility and opportunity to disrupt business as usual and to disrupt our comfort zones. One of the great books that I had opportunity to read while here at Crosswalk some years ago was the book, What Would Jesus, what would Jesus Disconnect? And it was just simply the idea that often we live in spaces that have levels of comfort built within them, that until our comfort zones are disrupted often by the cry of the the clarion call of the preacher to levels of action within communities, I think that the power that we have as preachers of the gospel, especially when you are speaking up for a community that may not necessarily be your own community displays the kind of love that we see of the social justice actions of Jesus in scripture. When you see him time and time again, speaking to the ills, when you see him time and time again, lifting up those who are downtrodden, if you would, when you see time and time again, Jesus speaking for those who can't speak for themselves. And when we look at the sermon on the Mount and those that would be blessed and those that would receive blessing. I think that, again, when we look at the life of Jesus, which is often a safe place to hide our positions, we see that Jesus was not just relevant to the day, but he spoke to the problems of the day, as I believe is the call of the preacher, is to model as well as to follow the outline of Jesus in the days for which we all live. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. as as i've been as i've been processing this um and not just this incident i'll 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 admit that i feel a little bit like a visitor sometimes because um i think just the i just think the the world the community that i live in like it has to be reminded that this happens and certainly not there's no good in being reminded by having it happen right but, but sometimes I feel a little bit like a visitor and I don't know if that's, you know, calling out my privilege or whatever. Um, and so I almost feel disingenuous at times, like, Oh, I gotta, I need to say something, but I haven't been saying something consistently about this because maybe it's not just in my face. I mean, you know, here at this church, we, we work for the underserved. We work for the homeless communities. We, we try and work for equality of all people and all gender, but um, but these, the acuity of these moments at times make me almost feel like, well, if I put my voice in now, am I, you know, am I somehow disingenuous to that? Cause I don't mean to be. No, I, I think the reality is we all like to get away from the pain of life. Nobody likes to stay in the murk and mire, but we're willing to get in when necessary. And I think that these are another one of those times where it is necessary um, that that the voice um, of all the brothers and sisters would contribute where they can, how they can. And I think that you gentlemen are blessed with influence as well as affluence. And I think the affluence of privilege calls a level of responsibility um, because of that 
that affluence and because of that privilege that you are positioned to have conversations at tables that I may never be invited to. And at that table of conversation, uh, you will either assimilate or advocate. And it's always going to be one of those two opportunities that's always positioned. Either you assimilate or you advocate. We understand that assimilate is just as simply to go along to get along. But advocate is going to rub some people uncomfortably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you will be at places and positions and conversations where God intentionally will give you opportunity to choose which road you will, you will walk down, the one of assimilation or the one of advocacy. And we would hope that advocacy would always be the choice to where when people see you coming, they know what comes with Samuel, what comes with Tim. And that is the willingness, the integrity to call right, right, and call wrong, wrong. Um, So while you may feel like a visitor, you are absolutely invited to the table to share your voice. Just like if you were to walk into my household, we don't want you to sit off to the side on the couch, but we want you to come to the table because when we invited you or when God blessed you to be in that space, he knew exactly what he was doing by positioning you there. And while it you may walk into those spaces um, slightly timidly, know that it's not by accident or by chance, but it is appointed by divine purpose that you will be at that place for that time, whether how long, we don't know, but we know that in those moments, we are responsible for advocacy or assimilation. And the question will simply be to everyone, which one will you choose? Yeah. And yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Everyone, I, 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 I hope I always fall on the advocacy side. Yeah. Always. Just want to do it in the most effective possible way. Because if I'm honest, and did we say we're going to be honest? Mm-hmm. There's been moments where in the last couple of days where I don't know that I, maybe I'd be in the streets throwing things. You know? Uh, and like you said, I don't want to judge them. Because that, that frustration, anger, that rage has to go somewhere. Gotta, they've got to let it out somehow. I'm not saying it's right. I don't think it's correct or I don't think it's the way to build a community up or to deal with the pain, but, but you can't blame them, can you? I can't. It's to say, I, I hear you yeah. and I'm sorry for the pain that you're going through. Mm-hmm. That's it. Be, because you can only shake the can long for so long until it's going to pop. But instead of getting mad at the person who's been shaking the can, you mad at the can for popping. That's interesting. Didn't you realize that at some point the can that you've been shaking around was going to pop? So don't be mad now that your clothes are dirty with soda. Be mad at the person who was shaking it in the first place. So while I've been watching people criticize the choice of responses, I understand the pain behind the choice. While again, I wouldn't recommend that response, I understand their why. And the why causes me to look to their heart of pain bigger than the actions that we see manifest. 
But I think the emotional maturity that that takes is a willingness to acknowledge, not necessarily even to put my feet in their shoes, but to recognize there's got to be a good reason why they've chosen that response bigger than just getting caught up with the crowd. And that's a level of pain that has not been acknowledged, one. Because a friend of mine said, well, let's just... Let's just fight for the solution. We don't have to keep talking about it. And I said, well, how do you ever create a viable solution until you have truly acknowledged the problem that we're wanting to solve in the first place? And now we are 400 years post, and we are still finding ourselves having similar conversations that some thought were done when President Obama became elected. Hmm. But the reality is, we saw the opposite extreme as his predecessor. And now we find ourselves in a space where all the way from the top down, hate is affirmed and encouraged. And we're surprised that hate is being lived out and played out before our very eyes. So there is a great deal of pain and angst and anxiety in the black community for a myriad of reasons. And this just happens to be another. And no, we're not necessarily looking for um, empathizers. We're simply hoping that people would say, I'm sorry that you have to deal with so much pain. Not even taking ownership but simply acknowledging respectfully that while your plight may not be my plight, I can see that you have pain in your plight. Mm. And I'm sorry that you have to suffer that way. That's good. That's good. Hey, so I've got just, yeah. Um, you're, you're a dad too, right? How do you how do you talk to your kids about this? We've had to start having those conversations about color. As much as we wanted to be able to shield our children. How old are they? I have 12-year-old twins and a six-year-old. That the school that my son attends, he experienced his first face-to-face reality with racism in the same grade of fifth grade when I experienced it at the same institution. Hmm. So we did not have a choice. We were thrusted into a conversation that we were hoping to not to prolong and protect them from until they were older and better able to grasp that while we never want you to judge somebody by the color of their skin, but the content of their character, the reality is that you are already being judged by the color of your skin. So we've had to, undesiring and unwanting to, had to start having those difficult conversations with our children. So when they're watching these things and see these things and conversations are happening around them at school and on the playground, that they have a level of context. To those things and can place those things, which is unfortunate. 
which is unfortunate. But we've had to start having those conversations. Mm-hmm. Don't want to. I don't want to have to tell my children. Uh, anybody listening would know exactly. Nobody, nobody black wants to have what we call the talk with mm-hmm. your children. And the talk is when you begin helping your children to understand the context of their reality. That you lower the bass in your voice. These are, these are secrets I'm sharing, by the way. Yeah. When you lower the bass in your voice when the police pulls you over. That you keep both hands on the top of the steering wheel and don't move. That you look ahead and not in the eye for too long, lest they think you are being disrespectful. That before you move your hands anyway, you let them know that your hands are moving to the glove box only to get the license and registration, which was being requested of them. Because you don't know that day how you would have caught that police officer, that peacekeeper that day. But those are intentional conversations that generationally have to be shared from generation to generation. While some would say, well, well, that's a conversation that should be universal. It's not because many will never have to worry about whether or not they'll come home when they go out and leave the house that morning. But that is a thought that happens often within the black community in black families. Pray that you'll be able to see your husband, your spouse when they go out the door that evening. Not fear of COVID-19, not fear of car accidents, but fear that they may run into the police officer who's having the wrong moment. Now, of course, we recognize that the large, overwhelming majority of police officers are great people. But we understand as well that there's enough bad apples out there that have created a community of people to have a level of trauma and fear and anxiety that our hearts beat fast when the lights pull behind us. Mm hoping and praying that everything will be okay and that all we'll get is a ticket Mm. and nothing less. Mm. It's interesting over the last couple of days, I've, I've had some conversations with my sons about the conversations we haven't had to have because, because, you know, their questions are, are much more general in nature. I mean, they understand, I think they, I don't know if they understand the anger, but I think they recognize the anger and they recognize what, what's wrong. Um, but I wanted them to understand, like there's certain things that you're not going to think about. And that is privilege. I, I, I don't know a better word for that. That's privilege to not think about it. And you not knowing that you're not thinking about it can become a problem. So you at least need to know that you don't have to have these conversations sometimes you know, as a matter of course, right. As a matter of family history, you don't have to have those conversations. And, um, it was an interesting moment when they were recognizing uh, one's 16, one's 13, when they're recognizing like, Oh, okay. It's different Hmm. for different people. And it was, uh, you know, as a father, I was proud of them to Hmm. recognize, but, um, but I can't imagine the other side of that conversation. To not have to think about it is, I think, is a blessing. But I think that there's something noble in creating those conversations with your boys because it allows them to begin getting a a bird's eye view right, into the daily reality. Um, 
It's I, I have such a diverse uh, group of people that I'm in, in community with. And one of the gentlemen and I often have very, um, uh, very engaged conversations about politics, race, and religion, and 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 he said to me, he said, he said, but wait, I don't even know why you why you use the word black. He said we shouldn't we shouldn't even use those words. And he said one of one of the actors, and I don't want to misquote the actor, but the actor said that the solution to racism is to not talk about it. And I and I paused. Not because I didn't know what to say, because in my mind, when those words came out of his lips, that he really said it as though that what that person said was going to contribute to a solution. Mm. I've never found solution in silence. And I think that a part of what I'm appreciating about the conversation that we're having today is often these conversations are had within homogeneous communities. So my black brothers and sisters have this conversation. My Spanish brothers and sisters have this conversation. My white brothers and sisters have this conversation, but we don't have it at a table of diversity. Yeah. Yeah. So that we can hear and share Mm -hmm. with one another perspectives and stories to be able to peer into one another's journey. And as a result, we don't really know how to be helpful sometimes. That's the that's the problem. One thing I want to know from you, by the way, um, when you keep saying, I think you're referring to me when you say Spanish, right? Is that me? <laughs> I'm referring to those who are not black and not white <laughs> in the room, which is you, uh, which is me. Uh, I remind him all the time that I speak Spanish. He claims I don't. I don't believe him. I'm, I've heard him. I am of Latino, my Latino blood. Um, how do you, um, I'm not asking you for all the tips on everything, but as Tim was talking about the conversation with his boys, um, people who are listening, how do you, how do you recommend a parent have this, this conversation with their kids? Um, silence, I think, I think you're right. Silence is what's, the, the biggest problem is the silence. Um, and I think we need to commit to not being the people who are part of that, part of keeping this quiet. That's not the solution. How does a parent talk to their kids about this? I think a part of what could be helpful for parents, I mean, having these conversations is, is as you broach the conversation, a part of kind of setting the table of the conversation is, is simply to revalue your child and their story and acknowledging the importance of you owning your story as a transition into while the importance of your story is thus there are other stories that are different than yours and just as you desire for your story of who you are to be valued or appreciated and respected so must be the way that we engage other people's stories, that their stories are different than our story, but their story is no less valuable. Their story often is going to be different than your story because their experience, their family, their background, their history is different, but no less valuable. 
And just the same way that you want your personhood, your humanity to be respected, acknowledged, same way we must do for all. And while the conversation I think is extremely important, I think so is the socialization. Because what often happens is we very easily find ourselves falling into our groups of comfort zone, Mm -hmm. which oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes end up reflecting our own personal um, ethnicity, um, thereby unintentionally teaching them that these are the groups of people that you're also supposed to be in community with. So sometimes while organic friendship um, is most often what we gravitate and hold on to, the reality is there's, it's going to take some intentionality of actually bringing people into our intimacy intentionally so that our children from very young ages will see the value that we are modeling in front of their very faces and showing them how to value other groups of people, not presuming that they're just going to catch it. Because we know as preachers that most lessons are either caught or they're taught. Mm -hmm. And it's one thing to teach verbally and express and instruct. It's something different to teach them by the things that they catch versus the things that you instruct. So I think that it also takes parents to say, I desire my children to value universally all humanity. So I also need to show them what that looks like. Mm. And the closer to the table that I bring those levels of diversity, the more that I'm showing them that it is safe to bring everyone within our spaces to be appreciated. Good. Some of those, some of the patterns are, are, they're learned, you know, they're learned and they, they pick them up at home and I, you know, it leaves you wondering if, if you have ever said or done um, something that your kids perceived that was not honorable, was not good. Um, yeah, I live with that. You know, doing inventory constantly of every conversation. Um, yeah. So there's your pastoral. I think you've given us a pastoral response. The, the parent in you. What's left? The citizen? <laughs> the, the citizen. The voting, voting citizen? The, the voting citizen is everybody must vote. Get out and vote. Listen, here is a plug for voting. I don't care who you vote for, vote for somebody. Yeah. But whatever you do, do not use not liking your options as a reason not to vote. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. It may come down to the lesser of two, but choose mm. and go to the polls. Wow. Good. That's right. But the person is... I have righteous indignation. The person is angry at the stuff that I'm seeing. But the person recognizing the reality of sin in our world. Yeah. That, that I, I want to just be angry at the police officers. But I know in my heart of hearts that the battle is not flesh and blood. Mm. 
Yeah, that's who's shaking the can. There's something of not flesh and blood that's that's shaking the can. Yeah. It's shaking the case. They're shaking the case. And the cans are all bouncing into and each other. And the cans are so 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 those that, that are affecting and empowering injustice, the reality is they are allowing themselves to be used by the devil. Mm. I don't want to make this unnecessarily religious, but the reality, the reality is that we know that the devil is as a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour seeking where he can create destruction, seeking where he can create division. So the more that we have these conversations that fight through the barriers of separation, increasing community and intimacy with brothers and sisters who aren't necessarily automatically found in our comfort zones, I think that we'll continue to repudiate the work of the devil as we come together as one body. Mm-hmm of one spirit fighting for one cause. Yeah. Yeah, something's got to transcend. Yeah. And if it's not Jesus, if it's not if it's not that narrative, what can it be? Absolutely. If you could put into what is the cause? You say it, you know, succinctly. What is what is it we can be unified around? Supporting all who are hurting, mm. period. Good. Not Good. why you're hurting, because people will be hurting through the ceaseless ages of humanity. So seeking to support those who are hurting, mm. period. Because this issue may at some point transcend into something else. So seeking to support those who are hurting. That's a good word. Yeah, that's, good that's word. a good word. I think that's, that's a lot to, a lot to process. Wait, I always appreciate your, um, you're the thoughtful conversation. I would like to have you back on when we can talk more about um, what you've learned through your outreach approach at your church, um, because that'll be a different kind of conversation and a lot of the same good stuff. But um, but I really appreciate your insight. Um, not just when these things happen. I always appreciate it when you show up at at my door, knocking on my door, looking at like what's he what's he doing? I'm like Wade's here. <laughs> I always appreciate that. So thank you for coming. Thank you for um, always being a teacher. Man, I always love coming, hanging out with you guys. Well, we appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Yeah. Love to you and your family. And to those who are listening, you guys, thank you um, so much. Be, be what your community needs and be what, what those that are hurting need. This is Tim and Sam, Sam and Tim, and Wade Ford. Thank you, guys. Peace.